Welcome everyone to the Money Mentors Podcast. My name is Glenn Fairburn and I'm here with my co-host Nathan Lear. Uh, we're both directors and private client advisors at Hewison Private Wealth, which is one of Australia's leading independent financial planning and wealth management firms. Um, as we always say, the objective of this podcast is really just to improve financial literacy and financial awareness. Um, this week, Nathan and I have a good chat about asset allocation um, and the importance of diversifying a portfolio and how that can benefit you long term. Um, as always, please remember this is general advice only, so please seek advice from an independent uh, financial planner. Um, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Money Mentors Podcast. Today, Glenn and I would like to cover off on the topic of portfolio diversification um, and I guess the importance of having a, a diversified portfolio. Um, obviously, diversification is a, is a term that's, that's widely used, but uh, today, Glenn and I would like to delve a little bit deeper in terms of what that really means and how you can uh, implement, uh, I guess, diversification within a portfolio to perhaps enhance uh, your longer-term returns. So, Glenn, I think before we kind of delve deep into diversification, I wouldn't mind just spending a couple of minutes to explain asset allocation because really diverse, diverse, diversification sorry, and asset allocation are very much uh, intertwined, aren't they? Yeah, they, they, they are related. And I think simplistically, just to explain what diversification is, I mean, it's, it's really just you know, the old adage of not putting all your eggs in one basket. But when we're talking about asset allocation, from when we're relating that to diversification, I, I think for most people, that just means investing across different asset classes. So if, if we're focusing on the five major asset classes, perhaps having a little bit in cash, some in fixed interest, some in shares, some in property. Um, and, and, really and, and even, sorry, Glenn, sorry to cut you off there, but even to break that down a little, little bit deeper, some people often just term it as income producing assets and growth, and growth assets, don't yeah. they? Yeah, there's, there's, I suppose there's different ways to, to look at it. Um, because, I mean, yeah, I mean, equities, you can, you can break that up into two. If, if you're based in Australia, you might say Australian mm. equities and international equities. Yep. But if you're taking a, a, a more sort of global perspective, maybe you just break it down into equities being shares yep. and um, not, not be too concerned about separating Australian shares from international shares. Just treat it as one big equity Just treating exposure. it as one. And, mm. and in, in the end, I suppose, looking at it from a growth and income perspective can be, a, can be an effective way to diversify a portfolio. But there are some growth assets. So if you look at shares and property, they can move in different directions at the same time. Um, so perhaps you don't want to view them as, as one segment of your portfolio. De definitely. And the other one that people often will put in the portfolio is uh, al alternatives, isn't it? It's yeah, not, that, that can be a huge bucket. It can though, be a lot it? of things. It can be, I think, gold or commodities or... It can, it, can be, it can be a lot of different things, can't it? Yeah. Alternatives. And, I mean, we, a few weeks ago, we spoke about private equity. Some, some people may classify that as alternatives, whereas yeah. you know, the, the other school of thought would be, well, that's, it's still equities, although it's an unlisted version of, of company shares, it's still equity within a company. Mm. Um, but, but look, I, I think in the end, what it comes down to um, is, is determining the appropriate asset allocation um, for, for the individual's given situation um, and that ultimately is driven by what, what are their objectives um, and also what is their tolerance to risk and although we're not I suppose strong subscribers of risk profiling which is basically 
where, where a client would answer or an investor would answer a series of questions and then that questionnaire would then come back to them and say, well, based on your answers, you are a balanced investor and therefore this is your asset allocation. I think when you're constructing a portfolio which is around the objectives, you still need to understand what an individual's risk tolerance are because some people, I suppose, understand investments more, therefore may be comfortable with more growth assets within their portfolio, whereas others are a little bit more conservative and perhaps want a more um, or a higher allocation to more capital stable type assets like fixed interest or whatever it may be. Sure. Um, so, yeah, understanding the, the individual's uh, goals and objectives and then also their attitudes towards risk and, and apportioning the portfolio or balancing it um, in between the different asset classes to try and help them uh, achieve achieve what they want to achieve with the with the right level of risk as well. Yeah. To sum so, it up. So yeah. just w- when when we're putting together portfolios, what what would you say? What, what's the re- I mean, regardless of us putting portfolios or, or just in general, what why what what would be the answer for you as to why people should diversify their portfolios? Yeah, I think that the thing that comes to mind straight away is just around that whole that whole risk piece. Yeah. Um, well, de- depends which way you look at it, but uh, if somebody's going to put all their money into equities or or property for like a growth style asset, the thing that comes to mind for me, as I just said, is is risk. You want to you don't want somebody be t- to be too overexposed to a particular market, and we know that, for example, in the Australian market or the global markets, the when we had the global financial crisis two thousand and eight. Around then, um, equity markets fell 50%. So you don't want somebody to wipe out 50% of their wealth in, in one market cycle. So that's probably the first thing uh, that comes to mind in, in terms of diversification. But it can also be the, the other way, Glenn, I think as well, where if somebody has a whole lot of cash, um, let's say they're just sitting on all their wealth in cash, as we know, that can be an unproductive way to manage their, their wealth as well, can't it? Yeah, I mean, they're probably the two extremes, aren't they, where yeah. you've got one person who's fully invested in a growth type asset like shares and the other person invested 100% in an asset that's really not going to go anywhere and in real terms actually going to reduce in value yeah. because of the rising cost of living. So is it, to, it, it was my short answer to your question then to, to manage the level of risk and return? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and, I used uh, to, and I used two extreme examples to highlight that but I think that's the, the key reason why you do diversify. And I think mm. people tend to focus too heavily on a return, like total return because when you're looking at a, a, an investment, let, let's just say it's an industry super fund or, a, or or any sort of investment strategy, and we hear the returns that get um, that get announced from from a particular fund, what people tend not to look at is where where is the money being invested? Because if we're looking at over a long long period of time, then history would say that well, you, well you're better off putting 100% of your money in shares or property because over a long period of time you probably are going to get the, the highest rate of return. But in between that, or in, in, over a short period of time, you are also going to have massive fluctuations in your asset value, aren't you? Yep. So that's where you, you, whenever you're looking at a return being generated by a given strategy or given portfolio, it is important to dig a little bit deeper and say, okay, where where is this fund actually investing its money? Because yes, it may have returned a high level this year, but what happens if the market goes against them? How's that going to impact the return of the portfolio? Because you may be comfortable when the market's going up, but are you going to be comfortable when the market goes down? Because as you were saying, during the GFC or leading up to the GFC, shares were the top performer, but then they also fell 50%. Are you going to be comfortable knowing that in the short term, your asset value could reduce substantially like that? And, and, and I think that's 
you know, as you're alluding to with regards to managing risk and introducing other assets, if, if you start off with 100% shares and you slowly introduce other asset classes, then ultimately the advantage of that is that, yes, in some ways it can compromise total return because if you start introducing things like fixed interest, cash, um, and other types of assets, it can reduce the total return. If equity markets are doing really, really well, then yeah, you want to be 100% in shares. But the advantage of introducing these other asset classes is it does minimize the impact of a downturn. And for a lot yeah. of people, that's you know, it gives them that sort of sleep at night factor, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, it'll definitely smooth out the returns, won't it? By, by yeah. including cash and fixed income and more that's defensive right. style assets, which... Um, yeah, it makes people a lot more comfortable. I, I definitely agree with your point about understanding where you're invested, in particular if you're in a, uh, I'll talk superannuation for a second, if you're in a, an industry or a retail type fund where you're in a, an option, a growth option or a balanced option. And a balanced option just generally means that it's spread across different asset classes, doesn't it? That's right. Pretty evenly balanced where growth yeah. might be high, more highly skewed towards uh, grow, uh, fixed, in, uh, fixed income, uh, excuse me, uh, shares and property. So uh, I think people need to really understand that. And I completely agree, Glenn, that, that, that often people focus on that, that, that return figure yeah. and don't dig deeper, which is really important. Well, it has to be return relative, relative to risk, risk, doesn't it? Right. Because yeah. if, if you're, and, and just getting back to your, your point about balance funds, the thing that's interesting is that there's no set standard as to what a balance fund is because balance for one manager could be completely different to balance for another manager. It's how they, how they perceive risk almost, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you might have one balance manager that's got 70% in, in Australian and international shares another one that's got 50%. So they, they could both be categorized as balance and that's why, as you were saying, it's important to dig a lot deeper to find out where the money's being invested so that you can then determine whether you'll be comfortable with that with that level of risk sure so uh, i suppose this is this is a hard question probably for you to answer but I'll, I'll i'll ask it what advice would you give to somebody looking to construct a portfolio maybe that we haven't already spoken about um if they're thinking about yeah constructing a balanced or a diversified portfolio any anything you'd I, I don't know? think it's a simple task because I, and that's where you really should seek advice because Ultimately, the asset allocation that you put together or, or the decisions you make as to how much you invest in cash, how much you invest in fixed interest, property and shares should ultimately be driven by your specific situation. And, and really, you need to understand how that sort of portfolio can perform in the long term, but also how it may perform in the short term in the event of a downturn. Mm. Because ultimately, you have to be comfortable with the level of fluctuation that may occur within that portfolio in any sort of investment cycle. Yeah. Um, so, I, look, I'd really caution people to go out and um, sort of cons- try and construct their own asset allocations. There are different ways to do that. I know there's a number of tools online, as, as I was saying, the risk profiling tool. But, look, one of my concerns with risk profiling is, and, and I'll, I'll, we've, we've both seen this, you know, working in this industry through different investment cycles, is that most people... Are bullish when markets are going well. I mean, everyone's comfortable, like at the moment, buying property and maybe buying global equities and markets are going well. But when that goes against them, we, we've seen during the GFC where people do become very conservative. So I think that risk profiling can be influenced by the state of the market at that particular point in time. Mm. I mean, were people bullish or, or comfortable investing in shares and, and growth type investors at the bottom of the market in 2009? Maybe some people were. But I would say the, the layman probably wasn't. 
Um, so so that, that's my only caution around that um, sort of risk profiling type approach. Um, I, I think the key is speaking with an advisor or constructing an asset allocation that you'll be comfortable with long-term and what, what you should be um, not tempted to do is play around too much with that asset allocation, isn't it? That's probably something that we can have a, a bit of a chat about too. Yeah, well, happy to happy to jump into that now. Um, so I think yeah, the the term strategic asset allocation, which means that it doesn't it doesn't change. You don't. Uh, I guess you're not making calls or you're not timing the market. So let's say you've got a I don't know thirty percent weighting to equities. If the market is kind of going through the roof and there might be a temptation to increase that, you, you keep it at 30. We'll talk about rebalancing a little bit later. Um, but in terms of um, uh, that, that's called a strategic asset allocation where you leave the weightings as you set them at the start or, or the other way of doing it is a, a tactical a tactical asset allocation where you, I guess, you're making calls on the market. Yeah, so as you were saying, you might start with a portfolio that's got 50% fixed interest, 50% shares and under, as you were saying, under that strategic model, that would stay like that. Yeah. Um, but under a tactical model, if, if you see value in the equity market, you might say, well, okay, now I'm going to go 70% shares, 30% fixed interest. But that is quite a dangerous type approach, isn't it? And if you can get yeah. it right, it can pay off in, in a big way. But yeah. I think um, you know history's shown that it's very difficult to pick the absolute bottom or top of markets. Yeah, d- definitely. And... One point I was going to make on asset allocation before, um, I, I'll just highlight probably something you brought up is just, yeah, the, it's a way that you can have a disciplined strategy where you're not, where you're not kind of um, becoming a victim to market hysteria or yeah. fear of the market. And I think people often that try to invest themselves, that's where they fall over. They don't have a, they don't have a disciplined strategy in place and an asset allocation almost forces you to do that and and even at times, it makes you do things you don't want to do, which yeah, when you're an definitely. investor, that's often the best way to do it. When when, when the market's down 50% and the last thing you want to do is invest in shares because there's so much panic around. Yeah. You're, if your asset allocation tells you, well, I should have X amount in shares, well, you don't have a choice. You've got to follow it, don't and you? And that's what, that's what rebalancing is, isn't it? Yeah, rebalancing. So before we talk about rebalancing, Glenn, I was just going to mention, we, we often bring up uh, the importance of you know, learning and financial resources. And we've brought up the 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 tony robbins money master the game book quite a few times and just if you are interested in looking into asset allocation diversification even rebalancing a little bit more that is a great that is a great resource there's basically the book spends a lot of time talking about that so yeah i I do agree with what you said about seeking financial advice you know if you need the help always should do that but if if you are somebody that wants to do it yourself if you're going to read anything i think that's a great book to read to try and understand um portfolio diversification asset allocation he'll he his team of people tony robbins team in that book they basically go back and um data test uh, certain asset allocations to kind of understand how it performed over the last like 80 years yeah so so just i think you said before understanding if certain market events happen what that'll do to your portfolio so it's just a really good resource so worth worth a read um, so do you want to, Glenn, maybe move across to the whole portfolio rebalancing concept now? Yeah, so really just expanding on what you were saying before um, with the whole strategic asset allocation, which is basically where you put together an asset allocation for your given situation and what you're, what you're actively doing over an ongoing basis as markets move is actively rebalancing back to that strategic asset allocation. So on day one, in a, in a simplistic portfolio, you may say, well, 
the appropriate strategy for me is 50% shares, 50% fixed interest. But as we know, markets aren't static. They don't just stay flat. They do move. Um, so you may have a situation, for example, let's just say the equity market has risen 20%. So what would happen to your asset allocation is that you'll be left with a 60% allocation to shares and a 40% allocation to fixed interest. Now, if you remain disciplined and you stick to your initial strategy, what the portfolio is telling you to do is to rebalance. So in that situation, what you'd be doing is reducing your exposure to shares from 60 back down to 50 and then increasing your exposure to fixed interest. So as, as you're explaining, the advantage of that sort of approach is you're not having to pick, oh, is now a good time to invest? Is now a good time to take profits? The portfolio will tell you what you need to do on an ongoing basis to make sure that you're aligned to what your initial strategy was because if you just let that run, yes, the performance may be better in the short term because obviously if you've got a higher weighting to shares and the share market continues to go up, then you're going to be better off. But the downside of that is that if you just continue to let that run and it goes from 60% and then you've got you know, 65 70% invested in equities or shares and then the market falls, the impact of, on you is greater. Um, so that's really the benefit in actively rebalancing your portfolio. One, you're taking profits as markets are rising. And on the flip side, if markets are falling, you're picking up some really good value. And once again, the portfolio is telling you what you need to do. You don't need to be a genius as to what the best time in the market is to invest. Um, but more importantly, you're making sure the risk of the portfolio isn't deviating too far, far from where you um, initially set it. And I think that that philosophy also works if you're adding money to a portfolio. So if you've got a, yeah, absolutely. If you've got a regular contribution that you're putting in and um, once again, the asset allocation will, will tell you even if um, your investments are moving around with the market, um, that, that new money could go in according to that asset allocation that you've set. Uh, the other point I was just going to mention was uh, the, I guess, the amount of rebalancing that you might want to do. You have to be really careful not to over rebalance. You don't want to, um, you know, I don't know, a dozen, dozen, half a dozen or a dozen times a year if you're making changes to your portfolio, that can almost be ineffective and it yeah. can it can really add to the, the transaction costs. If you, for example, if you're buying and selling shares, which can, which can hurt your portfolio performance. So, um, you know, it depends on, on what you read or who you listen to, but, you know, at least, at least once, you know, once, twice, three times a year, maybe, but you just definitely don't want to overdo the rebalancing. No, I think it also depends on the volatility in the market, doesn't it? If you have massive swings in the market of five, ten percent, you may be doing more rebalancing in that situation. But as you were saying, I mean, you don't want to be that you're sort of losing the value if you're just rebalancing all the time because the costs of doing that will just outweigh any benefit. Sure. Um, any anything else that you wanted to add, Glenn, in terms of um, what we've spoken about today before we wrap it up? Look, I, I think it's as we were saying earlier. I think one of the benefits of having a diversified portfolio is that no, you know, not all asset classes move in the same direction at the same time. Um, so by so, for example, shares and property in the last um, well, probably not so much the last year. The Australian market's done okay, but over the last sort of five to ten years, residential property's done really, really well, yeah. and equities haven't done as well. Yeah. So if you were fully invested in property, yeah, you might, might have done okay. But if you were fully invested in shares, maybe you would have underperformed. So by having both, you are getting somewhere in the middle so that when it then turns, and eventually it turns where you might have a situation where residential property comes off and then equity markets pick up, it's just an opportunity where you get a smoother return. But aside from that, 
you're also getting the benefits of all those different asset classes because mm. everyone tries to have the debate, oh, what's better, shares or property or international shares or private equity? The fact is they're all good asset classes yep. um, and they've all got characteristics that you probably want to include within your portfolio. Um, and if you try and pick one, then you're going to lose out on the benefits of the other. So I think by having a little bit in each of those asset classes, um, it can benefit you. But having said that, you don't want to diversify for diversify's sake either and have so many assets within your portfolio um, that can probably lose its benefit as well. Would you agree? Like over-diversifying? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's a really good point you made about property because it is so topical in Australia at the moment because we've had 20, 20 plus years of, of, of growth pretty much. You know, if you look at yeah. the averages, I guess, yeah, of Australia, you've had, you've had like 25 years of growth and, and I even had yeah, clients the other the other week that, that I spoke to about this and they're like, we've done so well out of property. I'm like, that that's great. But that even makes diversification now even more important mm. um, because you know you don't you don't know what's going to happen going forward. And I, I think I even said to these clients, if you if I had somebody that come to me with you know multi million of dollars in property, I talked to them about the importance of the diversification. If a client come to me with multi millions of dollars in in shares, I'd also Do talk to them about yeah. yeah. So it's it's not. I completely agree with what you said. I don't think one's better than the other, and I I don't particularly like those arguments when people get into which one's better than the other. You can go back and look at the the long, long, long-term performance of them. I'm talking 100 years, and it's very similar. We know that. Um, so yeah, we we definitely subscribe to that diversification model. Have a have a good mix that's right for the the individual. Well, and it's their a better objectives. way. It's also a better way to protect your wealth because yeah, you might have done really well out of property and you've and you've built up a significant asset base. But what it's, it's always the what if scenario. What if property fell? 10, 15%. Are you going to be comfortable with and you, that? Nobody can, like, in my view, nobody can predict no, that exactly. that's going to happen. So yeah. why take that risk if you don't need to? That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Excellent. All right. Well, I think we had a, a good discussion today, mainly around the importance of diversification, um, which obviously involved a, quite a detailed discussion around asset allocation. Um, and then we spent the, the latter part of the, the podcast talking about the importance of rebalancing a portfolio to bring it back to um, those asset allocation weightings that you have set at the start. Uh, so thank you again for listening and we look forward to having you next week. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. Uh, please, as we always say, check out Hewison Private Wealth at our website, which is www.hewison.com.au. You can also find us via the various social media platforms, so Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Uh, we'd also really appreciate if you leave feedback, um, rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Um, once again, hope you enjoy the podcast and we look forward to speaking to you all again next week.